0: Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet, the host of the Animal Tales podcast, and I'd like to welcome you to my new series, Doggone Good Information. And please welcome my co-host, Tommy Fahey. Hi, Tommy. Good morning,
1: Heidi. How are you?
0: I'm great. I'm great. Good to see you. And uh, you too. Always enjoy these these uh, opportunities to chat with you and present some hopefully doggone good information to the folks. Yeah. So how was your week? Anything interesting happened to you this week?
1: Or Jimmy Dean, maybe? We had a (laughs) doozy of a week with Jimmy Dean. Jimmy Dean met a skunk.
0: Jimmy Dean is the Jack Russell Terrier, if you haven't tuned in prior.
1: He's my five-year-old Jack Russell Terrier, and he met Peppy Le Pew the skunk in the backyard this weekend.
0: In your backyard? Yep. Oh, my.
1: So I should have known better. About 6 o'clock Saturday morning, he was up and at the back door trying to go outside. And I thought, oh, he's just gotta go out. No, there was a skunk in the backyard that he heard. So immediately, as soon as he ran out the back door, I hear him yelp and scream. And I thought, oh, great, here we go. Um, So I look out the back door and here's the little skunk right at my back door, sitting (laughs) on my back porch. Oh no. And so I can't go outside because the skunk's in the way and I'm gonna get sprayed then. Jimmy Dean's run off into the, into the yard, rolling and screaming and yelping and uh, trying to get the scent off of him. So I just had to wait for the skunk to clear out and, oh, you know, get out gosh. of the way. Um, but this has happened one time before, and I, I did some research on how to get rid of the skunk smell. So I was prepared. I, I had the ingredients. So you take baking soda, uh, hydrogen peroxide, and Dawn dish soap oh. and you put it in a bowl and you make like a paste. Um, so it's like one to one ratio on the baking soda and hydrogen peroxide. And then just a couple of drops of the Dawn dish soap. Um, and you make a paste out of that. And before you get the dog wet, don't take the dog and rinse it off. Cause that actually is going to make the uh, oil of the, the skunk scent. It's going to actually set it into their fur. So you leave them dry, you take this paste and you rub it all over the dog, anywhere where they got sprayed, and you let it dry. Oh. So, yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive, but the the baking soda pulls the oil um, out of the fur and then the hydrogen peroxide neutralizes the odor and then the Dawn dish soap kind of breaks up the oil, but also makes the paste a little bit more of like a glue consistency. Okay. Um, so it sticks to the hair a little bit better. Yeah. So you do all of that. So I, I mixed up my little bowl of ingredients and walked out into the backyard after the skunk had, had made his exit, um, and got Jimmy Dean to come up to me and, um, again, prepare, uh, he's, he knows how to get on a mark. And so I have a mark on the back porch that he had to go and sit on. And I made him wait right there. Oh,
0: boy. Don't come in the house.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's a big, I I made that mistake last year when this happened. I let him in the house before I realized it happened. And so then it was Uh. all in my house and I couldn't get it out. So this time before he went inside, I had him in the backyard and I rubbed him all over with this paste. Um, and let it just sit. And he ran around the backyard and rolled in the grass. And so now my grass has all the baking soda in it. It was really funny. Um, oh my gosh! But yeah. And then I, br- I brought him inside and uh, took him to the kitchen sink and rinsed him out. He's only about uh, fifteen to eighteen pounds, so he's just, he fits right in the kitchen sink.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: and uh, rinsed all that out, and then used a, a shampoo to actually uh, kind of cover up whatever l- leftover scent there was. But oh, it actually, fun it took out most of the smell there's a little bit there um, but not nearly as offensive as it could be uh, so yeah and then I uh, that was Saturday and I just bathed him again last night to get rid of the rest of it wow so, yeah so there's your uh your tip on care for dogs is baking soda hydrogen peroxide and dish soap
0: okay well, what, um, I, I, why do I think tomato juice was involved in the past? <laughs> yeah, that
1: was a thing. Okay. Um, and I think really what it was is the, uh, there's a, uh, vinegar component in tomato juice. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Sure. Um,
1: An acidic, uh, so that would break down the, the oil as well. Um, but when I researched it, there's actually, um, a chemist looked at what, how does, a, what what is in a skunk's scent, what makes the scent actually so offensive. Oh, interesting. Um, and it's a compound, I'll use my degree here, from organic chemistry. <laughs> it's a thiol compound. Um, and so he figured out that uh, hydrogen peroxide and baking soda would neutralize it. So uh, oh, okay. you use chemistry to your advantage.
0: Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So it uh, did Jimmy Dean... Seemed to enjoy the interaction with the skunk or was uh, it didn't No. Okay.
1: <laughs> he, was, he was quite offended. Oh,
0: okay. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, my. He screamed and yelped and then was running away trying to get the scent off of him. Uh, and then the skunk's just be bopping around trying to make his way out of my backyard.
0: Oh, my gosh. So... Oh, I hope that yeah. doesn't happen to me. Gosh. We're in a fairly... Uh, not that it couldn't, but fairly tight neighborhood as far, I live in Pinellas County, Florida, when I'm home in the winters, anyhow, I like to travel, but (laughs) we have a a nice fenced backyard, which makes it great for dog training, big enough, but not too big. They can really get away and hide, but I think it would be hard for something to make its way in. We have a big coyote problem. uh, Oh, really? Yeah. And again, Pinellas County, Florida is, I want to say like 36 square miles and about a million people. We're very dense, yeah. so you know there's some beautiful parks, but other than that, oh, there's not open space. It, actually, with the horse world, it it's uh, pretty unsatisfying because you get postage stamp spaces. I like a horse to run and fart and buck and you know kick up their heels and yeah, you don't get a lot of you don't get that. But um, we have a big coyote problem. It's really interesting. I don't know if you have How- that. You're in Missouri, uh, but you, the ring doorbells on, on yeah. next door is very popular. I find, cause I travel next door, is it popular throughout the country? Cause I do my dog training advertisements primarily on there. Cause you're reaching okay. your neighborhood, yeah.
1: but when you get in more, more rural areas,
0: next door is not that popular, They're kind of interesting, right. but these ring doorbells, they'll see two and three together, which it's, it's huh. quite scary. And apparently they will go after cats. I don't know oh, that yeah, there's for sure. yeah as much evidence with like little dogs or, and cats get left out more often or that, but yeah, it, it's really kind of problematic. It scares me a bit. So
1: yeah, I, I wouldn't think in such a developed area that, that right? would be so dense.
0: Yeah. yeah it's, and, and of course you get the live and let live. They were here first and then you get the other people like, let's take them out or trap them, you know, and, the, the the divisiveness of social media on that you know oh yes I tend to the think extremes, we should be right? trapping a little bit because they're they're really fairly pronounced in our area
1: um, yeah population yeah. control that's a a big topic with uh, animals and feral cats even can be a problem Exa-
0: well I I think I've mentioned on this podcast I got salmonella from feral cats a woman trying to take care of a bunch of cats. She was a very bleeding heart and I I don't dismiss taking care of animals. Don't get me wrong, but I was renting her barn and um, they got, apparently they get all over the top, you know, they climb on everything. So all the top Mm -hmm. of the feed cans and stuff, and it's a giant litter box nearby and like 30 feral cats. And just for picking up the feed can tops and touching my stuff, I got salmonella. I'm not a fastidious hand washer, I have to admit. And uh, growing up with animals, a lot of us aren't. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting uh, equation there. But um, but yeah, so I'm always thinking about that. And that goes to the you know the whole premise of my podcast and the way I think is it's very emotional, happy, or it's bad, but there's a middle. And so, yes, we want to take care of animals, but you're talking about feral cats or coyotes, they're not, they're not vaccinated. They're mm-hmm. not getting wormed. So they're crapping somewhere. And you know, what kind of parasites or such are they bringing to the table? Years ago, I was up at Gettys- Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, a very pretty area at a miniature horse park called the Land of Little Horses, still in existence. And I lived on the property in a over a hundred year old farmhouse, quite charming. But my horses were out in the pasture and we had a hundred, the farm had a hundred acres. So it was lovely rolling hills. I'd look out and see a dozen deer in the pasture and you can hear cue the violins and the rainbows and unicorns. Isn't that lovely? I was panicked because the deer had, uh, there were, there was a deer tick that was huge in Pennsylvania in those areas where you get a lot of woods. Those are problematic. So I didn't see this utopian, look at the beautiful deer. They were just one fence away from my horses. I was like, no, <laughs> because in my mind was going to, what are they bringing to the table? You know, yes. I wasn't planning to take them out or anything. I just wasn't thrilled that they could get that close. We had a bunch of different animals there, petting zoo. We had some, um, some sheep and uh, goats and a camel and different animals. Yeah. And it just... Again, got back to best practices, which we talk about a lot on this podcast of, you know, trying to figure out how to best manage your animals with disease and parasites and such. So that yeah, anytime, always comes to mind.
1: Anytime and and with any species, when you have a population density right. uh, that, that gets, you know, really excessive, that's when you're going to start to have disease problems. You're going to start to have parasite problems. Um, things that you wouldn't normally maybe see in the environment, uh, because in its most natural form, our environment is sort of designed to take care of these problems. Um, But when we get off of that more natural idea, which doesn't hardly exist anywhere anymore, then we start to see these little problems uh, kind of crop out. Yeah. yeah, if you only had one or two barn cats, you maybe wouldn't have gotten the salmonella. But when you have thirty, yeah. all in the same place, yeah, you're gonna have that issue.
0: Yeah, it was it was scary, and it's like the Mustang. Uh, I w- I'm gonna do an episode on Mustangs in the my Animal Tales podcast, probably within the next month or two. The the dilemma again that hmm, mm. the middle because there's so many of them that they're again disease and. Uh, the food, the opportunity to find food and such, out west, yeah. and you know, don't kill the mustangs. They were here first. They're the in the other side. So you know, life is pretty much just one big dilemma. Uh, let's face it. You know, everything, yeah. everything now, right?
1: Well, and how do you decide if they were mustangs or if they were just uh, horses that were turned loose? You know, 50, 60 years ago.
0: Right. and Or hundreds of years ago. That's coming up as well. And even now with the problem with, you know, people are loading horses in other people's trailers because they can't afford to keep them. They don't want to deal with a horse they don't use anymore. So there's, again, part of the podcast, back to the emojis, but just realistic information. It doesn't, it's not good. It's not necessarily bad. It's not necessarily good. It's just, it is what it is. And there are decisions to be made and we're just trying to arrive at the best or the government or whomever. And we tend to vilify all sides of this, you know? Yes. And uh, I'm just trying to to provide some better information, which kind of leads us into where we are, what our topic is going to be today. We're going to talk about emergency preparedness with our animals And I thought this was a great topic, Tommy, because, uh, yeah, I know you're over in Missouri, but Arkansas, um, this is, uh, early April had some Mm -hmm. terrible tornadoes. I've, I've heard like upwards of 30 people dead. Um, you know, that perished in these storms. Yeah. It was really bad. Yeah. And, and even though they had warning that they were so bad and the, the, magnitude of the storms. I was mm-hmm. in the tail end. I was over in Tallahassee. We got some bad storms last week, but just the very tail. Um, so I'm Heidi Harriet and Tommy Fahey, my co-host, and we're on doggone good information and getting ready to move into our main topic, which is um, emergency preparedness. So Tommy, I'm going to let you start with this. I I have some good information I want to impart as well, but let you jump into this for us
1: yeah so when we uh decided to approach this topic i just did a quick google search because that's the easiest thing to do yeah um and several websites pop up several of them were uh government websites Mm -hmm. um so from ready.gov which is the uh, u.s government that puts together uh emergency preparedness uh ideas plans Um, They have a really easy to follow website and a a great brochure that's uh, out there that gives you all the information. Um, And it's really just simple, logical things uh, that you need to be prepared and plan for the worst, Mm -hmm. hope for the best plan for the worst. Um, And I think that's something you and I are probably quite good at because of our history of being in entertainment. You have to have plan A, B, C, all the way through Z because, things don't always go according to plan.
0: And we've been mobile. We've had mobile facilities. So some ways that helps us and some ways that makes you uh, kind of vulnerable, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So no matter where you are in the country, you're going to have some kind of uh, disaster that's going to be more prominent. So for you down in Florida, you're going to have hurricane season. Uh, Where I'm at in the Midwest, we have tornado season. Uh, Just last night, we had some pretty severe thunderstorms come through. Um, and there were, uh, some tornado watches and tornado warnings around. Um, and then of course there's going to be wildfires out West and there's oh, going to yeah. be mudslides and monsoons and no matter where you are, something is going to happen.
0: Freezing so blizzards be, up in the North and, uh, yeah. the winter. Yeah.
1: So you just have to be prepared for, you know, any worst case scenario. Um, so on the ready.gov website, they have a, a brochure available and, uh, they're, sort of three-step plan is our our three-step advice is make a plan build an emergency kit and stay informed and that's kind of the general uh what they say to everybody um but specifically for the pets what they recommend is um know how and where to evacuate to so before something bad happens that's the (laughs) key idea of where you are going to go because um, in the moment, you may not be able to think, yeah. you know, where you're going to go. And then explore around that area wherever you're going to go, whether it's uh, to a different city, to a different county, whatever. And then you need to know what's available there. Um, don't yeah. assume that a hotel is going to let you come in with your pet. Yeah, Not all ho- hotels will allow you to come in with a pet. Yeah, um, So be ready that, that that may not be an option. Um,
0: Shelters as well. I know in Florida, because of the hurricane, um, we we get, like, evacuations a few days ahead, right? Mm-hmm. Which not all disasters allow for. So, uh, they uh, not all the shelters are pet-friendly, and the yeah. ones that are have very specific criteria. This is not loosey-goosey at all. That's very, and really not what most pet owners would be comfortable with or the way people operate. You and I would be yeah. fine with it, but... You know the kennels and that kind of stuff we'll talk about Mm -hmm. in a minute but yeah so
1: you gotta you gotta know ahead yeah um so uh the other one they say develop a buddy system so make sure that some other friend or neighbor or somebody can help you with your pets so if you're not available or you're incapacitated that somebody else knows how to take care of the animal knows what their needs are um I, I talked to a lot of clients about this with their horses, especially Mm -hmm. yeah, Um, people who care for their own animals and you do things a certain way and you know, uh, what supplements or medications or, you know, this horse likes, uh, the feed put there and this dog only eats out of this bowl or whatever, write everything down, Yeah, have, uh, you know, a, a list that you update on a regular basis. So that I, I call it the least common denominator uh, that the, the least educated person, the least experienced person could come in and follow your step by step directions and know exactly what to do. Um, and that will help keep it consistent for the animal who's now going to be stressed because either you're not there or the environment has changed or whatever. Um, but if you write everything down that will really be a, a big help for somebody else coming in uh, to take care of, of your personal pets.
0: Yeah. Yeah, those those are great. And I know last year I did uh, some radio with iHeart, Ryan Gorman's in Tampa during our hurricane and uh, spent about 15 minutes talking with him. And I had gone on PinellasCounty.gov and then uh, gov and like you said, the the federal FEMA even has some stuff. Mm-hmm. These all have a downloadable brochure and a list of information to help you plan because you also will want your papers with your vaccinations and your rabies, especially if they're not wearing the tag, even if they are. I always say, get them ready, put them in a, a page protector and like mm-hmm. clip them to your cage, right? So that, because yeah. you don't want to be running around finding this stuff. Because again, if you're evacuating, there are people involved too, not dismissing how we love our pets, but if I've got a few kids and I've got to sort out what I need, you know, to make sure, you know, maybe one of the child or your somebody in your family has medication or something need to really be thinking through all that. And to Mm -hmm. Tommy's point, because of the nature of the business we're in, uh, being in the entertainment world, and then by virtue of that, sometimes being mobile, we're very good at, uh, I, I, I always anticipate the worst and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. I call it Murphy's Law. If I'm prepared, it's likely not going to need to be used. It's exactly. when I get caught with my pants down. So I'm kind of anal about this. I actually have, in my career, many times helped other people plan emergency planning, whether it's escaped animals or what we need to do to keep animals safe and that. So um, the one thing that didn't come up a lot in when I was when I was doing this last year when we've talked a little about this when you're running your dog so your dog to go potty may have to go for a 35 minute to hour walk down the block turn left go right and on that person's lawn it will poop every day so i always say you need to train out of that because even if you just might not feel like it one day or you hurt your ankle and you can't take a mile walk. Mm -hmm. But what about the driving rainstorm or the hurricane or, you know, if there, you can't go that way, there's a fire or something. So uh, Tommy said this when we were planning our podcast, put a cue (laughs) on the poo. So with that in mind, one, uh, you know, we're laughing about it, but seriously, you should make sure your dog is able to go potty when you're holding your leash. And you wherever that is, it might have to be on concrete. It might be mm-hmm. against the mulch or whatever. But then you can, one of the things that I found online that I thought was cool is to take a kiddie pool or form any kind of a little barrier in your garage or your back porch or wherever and put either mulch or sand in it. So uh-huh. that you have a like a dog litter, you know, potty area, for lack of a better word. You could use uh, sod, whatever you want to do. But what a if you're up north in a major blizzard, too. What a great way to not have to let your pet outside. The smaller the pet, the bigger, like Trooper wouldn't even make it in a snowstorm. You know, he's, <laughs> one he's solid white, you wouldn't find him. He'd but he would just disappear. He would just disappear. So. I thought that was a really interesting one. I didn't grow up thinking about that, um, but we always had horse stalls. So we always had that kind of ready-made option. So I thought that was really neat. Um, And the other thing is you're going to have to use a kennel more than likely. And whether you're going to a shelter for a hurricane, I know you have to use a kennel. You have to put them in the room with the other animals and you don't get to hang out with them. It's Mm -hmm. very, like I said, it's not a wishy-washy thing at all. It's very defined and only certain shelters do it. So one, do you want your dog to be terrified and shaking and, you know, and then incessantly barking? Even you will be annoyed after about 12 hours of your dog barking. And by the way, I've said this on the podcast before, they don't run out of fuel. They can bark nonstop for days. It's unbelievable. You'd think they'd get a sore throat or something, but just be around a lot of dogs in kennels and you will experience that. So Mm -hmm. make sure they're very comfortable in there and that other people could take them in and out of their cages. This is all part of the foundation work that I do. And I do this because I want them to be safe and cared for in whatever we come up against. So the kennel is really important. Um, and also why your personalized training program may not serve you well, the more universal you make your training program. And I always go back to the AKC canine good citizen program for foundation training. I can hand the leash to Tommy and say, here, take my dog. And the dog looks up at you and walks off with you, or does it freak out if I have to reach in the cage and get, you know, get him out. And it's not, you know, I'm not his mommy you know, Mm -hmm. so the, the personalized training programs, well, if you do this and you, he has to do this to put the leash on and he has to do that to go outside and he has to do this to go potty. Those are all going to, those are all going to haunt you and in your, in your biggest moments, right?
1: Yeah. We had this happen a lot uh, at the vet clinic. Sure. Um, The vet clinic that I worked for also had a boarding facility with it so we we saw both medical cases and then just boarding cases um and the dogs that were not well socialized or not handled um by multiple people or had very specific uh ways of doing things really were the more stressed ones overall yeah. um, and then oftentimes dogs that came in um, you know the bulk of our surgeries were spay and neuters um that's a pretty common typical thing But some of the dogs would come in and they didn't know how to walk on a leash and they didn't know how to go to the bathroom while you had them on the leash. Yeah. So we're out there, you know, trying to walk this poor, just spayed female uh, puppy. and She doesn't know. She's not sure that she can go potty while you're standing there. Yeah. Uh, So getting them used to that is a really big thing early on. Putting a cue on the poo, as we say. Um, and then another thing I saw on that same idea using the kiddie pool, uh, getting them used to the idea of going in, in something like that, maybe putting it in your garage or yeah, something. I love
0: room that, huh?
1: Yeah, I saw a clip the other day. It was um, a service dog that was taken on a cruise ship. So this, I think the woman was blind and so she had a seeing eye dog. Okay. Um, and well, what do you do with a dog on a cruise ship? Well, they had a very, uh, specific area up in the crew area away from the, the public. And it was a little grass pool that they had made for this dog. Um, and I guess that's becoming more and more common, um, on, on some of these cruise ships. Um, but the dog had to learn how to go in this little area. Yeah. Um, that's a lot to deal with being one, being on a big boat, that's moving, um, and then having to go in just this very tiny little area, but she had a really well handled, well-trained dog, had a cue for the dog to know it was time to go to the bathroom. And so it was not a problem. Uh, so very yeah, neat. that's something yeah. to think about is that's something she needs for, you know, for her entire life. It's part of her entire program. Yeah.
0: The but, service dogs, no doubt. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But take a little piece of that for your at-home dog, just your pet, and and use that for the worst case scenario, when there's a blizzard, when there's a hurricane and you're stuck inside, whatever it is, you know, have these options available to you, and you don't wait until the hurricane is happening. You set it up well in advance, and a couple times a week, they use it and get used to uh, you know, having that as part of their normal routine.
0: Yeah. And Tommy, that was, I believe your training tip talking about preparing at, at the vet mm-hmm. that don't wait. And we, we kind of preach that on here with fireworks, that type of thing. You have to role play and practice all these things mm-hmm. because you're, you're changing a your behavior, right? So a dog that doesn't know it's supposed to go potty or allowed to go potty is now you're teaching it something new, but all of this stuff you need to really be thinking about in advance. I have this dog Otis. And again, you could follow along with his training on our YouTube channel. Uh, He does not know how to go potty. If he's not loose in the yard and I, he's Mm. three years old. I didn't, I'm, I'm working on this, trust me, but. Yeah, you've just had him a short time. Yeah, so what I, so here's how I'm going to do it. And I frankly haven't done this and I need, I, this is how I need to do it. So he goes potty every morning. He has to pee and poo every morning and he sleeps good. He doesn't go in the house. I now let him sleep on a rug near my bed uh, because again, he's so, he's never had interaction with people. So I'm trying to keep that going. He's done a lot on the bed, but he's nearby. He sleeps good through the night. He stays there. It's all good. So what I need to do is get a leash, a collar on him in the morning and go out with him when I know he has to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause during the day, my odds of catching him at exactly the right moment, I have an idea when he goes, but he's definitely going to go in the morning. So I need to go out probably a longer leash and then shorter and shorter and praise yeah. him, tell him it's okay. I'm not going to give him cookies. He doesn't eat them anyhow. He has uh-huh. no interest in food, not a food motivated dog. And uh, so that's how I'm going to start with it. So that's a suggestion to folks as we're getting ready for the emergency, you know, your emergency plan. That's a way to start with the put a poo on, a cue on the poo is when in the morning when you know they have to go.
1: Yeah. And it's something I've done with uh, with Jimmy Dean again. And it, it just popped up because of the skunk situation. <laughs> Um, so now after dark, I'm a little afraid the skunk might still be in the yard. Yeah. So, um, I've made a point now for the last few days of after dark, if he needs to go out, I put him on a leash mm-hmm. and I have not been doing that for a while. I'd kind of let it go for a while. I just kind of open the back door and he goes, but now that I've had to make it a little bit more of a precise thing, um, he actually is much better behaved. Mm-hmm getting to the door sitting down waiting for me to put the leash on walking out the first day we walked out and he lunged onto the end of the leash and you know hit the end and went ah! and now he walks out very politely and it was just because i kind of let things go right uh, so i need to take my own advice at maintain <laughs> at our training yeah.
0: programs yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but we let things go we're yeah. humans it's it, we're uh, not infallible but, yeah, it has made a big difference, actually, in his general behavior uh, being much calmer and much more uh, in his behavior, being more communicative of what he needs. Right. Um, yeah. So it's, it's been actually a really good thing. So it's just something you need to throw into your practice on a regular basis when you, when you can and you have the time. Yeah. Um, and get them used to these things that you're going to need in an emergency.
0: Yeah. So even um, if you don't kennel regularly, like you don't keep mm-hmm. a dog in a kennel overnight, every every so often, a couple times a week, just get in a habit when you're home is a great time because if they haven't been in the kennel for a while, they're, don't put them in the kennel and leave right away. So, yeah. you know, work up to that, be in the same room with them, then put the kennel in a room close by where they could hear the TV or hear you on the phone. Then go out for 10 minutes, come back. So work up to it, but keep doing those things. And that was a good lesson for me. I went. I think I was telling you I went and uh, announced a circus as the ringmaster. Otis went to the circus this past week. And it was wonderful because I was able to bring him with me. I have a dog run that I put under a tent right beside the bay, our big top. But I stayed at a house and I kenneled him. And I hadn't done a lot of kenneling with him, but it was really good for me to follow my own advice again, Mm -hmm. which I was getting ready to do, but it it forced it because we went on a road trip and they didn't have a a fenced yard. So he was on a long cable and it it was really challenging to get him to go potty. So it made me think now I really have to get on it and help him. And he's not a normal dog. He doesn't have emotion. He's not a playful just doesn't know anything so I'm also challenged by that right like you can't Mm -hmm. say good boy to him and he's like cool she liked what I did he's always over processing yeah yeah so it's really a big deal okay so back that
1: brings up another topic that we'll get to eventually but traveling with pets
0: yeah we need to do a thing on that because we're both really good at that and that's a great topic that we can spend some time on there's some things that are obvious and things that are not so obvious, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: So um, one of the other things that I wrote down here that wasn't in the brochures that I had seen or the flyers was to take pictures of your pet and especially like particular markings that we mm-hmm. we do that with horses often for their um, yearly uh, Coggins test and such. But make sure, because if they get separated from you and you're trying to get them back, also microchip, of course, I think that's fairly standard now. Not real expensive, but to get your microchip and um, get some pictures of them. And then Tommy, I, I read like identifiers. So I know what we do on horses. We resort to everything from a ribbon in their mane to putting numbers on their hooves with chalk, which could mm-hmm. come off as it's really wet, even on their bodies. Yeah. <clears throat> I even know people who have clipped, um, clipped numbers into their, which doesn't hurt the horse at all. It's just taking in the long hair. But what do like dogs, sometimes having a collar on could be dangerous because they could get hung, you know, at, yeah, attached to something. A, a
1: it's problem. a catch 22. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Um, is it going to be better for you to have a tag that's not going to come off? um, Or is it going to be a problem that the collar gets hung up on something? Yeah. And that's a judgment call. There's no right answer on that.
0: Um, I tend to say you're going to leave your collar on your dog, but if you've got a lot of the things hanging off, uh, they could easily get, pulled off or such. So I think you'd want to be, have something written on the collar or inside the collar, correct? Yeah. They,
1: they make now um, collars that are embroidered that you can embroider your uh, phone oh, number I've seen and those, information uh, on. Yeah. Yeah. So that's probably a good option. If you know an emergency is coming, you can put that kind of a collar on them. Um, or buy the do- plastic
0: that it's like a biothane, and mm-hmm. you could write on it with a Sharpie would work as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then, um, you can get collars that are breakaway, um, you know, that have a little clip on them. That's going to break away with a certain amount of pressure.
0: Yeah. That would, um,
1: you know, that's not a a bad idea. Um, it's just, I mean, it's really just a judgment call. There's no right or wrong answer with that. And this Um, is
0: an extreme circumstance. This is kind of what we saw in the Ukraine stories out of the Ukraine where people literally let their animals loose because they, couldn't care for their people let alone their animals Mm -hmm. so maybe in a bad fire or a horrific storm with horses it's 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 a common practice if you can't keep them in the barn and you're worried about their well-being you're better off to let them figure it out and turn that's how i grew up turn them loose our exotics or our horses
1: especially in the in the hurricane areas yeah uh, where you're not sure that the building is going to stay, yeah. remain standing or stay.
0: And, uh, and then get dry. flooded. And yeah, yeah you I've might get underwater. i seen some area. horrible pictures of horses in stalls. So yeah. let them loose. And, you know, where we are in this country and the alerts and such we get, not as common of a practice, but. My again, I always think worst case and want to be prepared. So, mm-hmm. if for some reason or your dog got loose because they were terrified and you weren't holding on to them well because you're distracted with your baby or your whatever, yeah, make sure they have identifiers on them, including the microchip. In yeah, addition, the microchip, to the microchip
1: is probably the best solution, yeah. Um, and on that note, make sure that you register the microchip.
0: I'm just doing that now. I, I really didn't know as much about how that worked, So that's very interesting. That makes
1: it quicker, uh, to get your information, even if you don't register it. Um, what happens? So if, if a pet came into the vet clinic and we scanned the, for the microchip, we could take that number and call the manufacturer and then the manufacturer would tell us who they sold that microchip to. Oh, interesting. So it would okay. be some other vet clinic. And so then we could call that vet clinic. That vet clinic has a record of who, what number they, uh, you know, what, what pet they put that particular microchip in. So it can be traced, but it's much faster. <laughs> if
0: you register.
1: If you, if you get it registered. Uh, um, so.
0: Yeah. So on that note, how did like how does somebody know I had got an email because I I went through a rescue to get the my dog so they mm-hmm. sent me the the microchip uh, registration actually I also got a lot of fluff stuff with it which was a bit confusing mm. very frustrating with this spam crap or yeah. sales like I could have I I went down the road of filling everything out only to realize it was a third party who wanted to charge me for managing my. Microchip, right? But how do you how would they ask their vet? I guess for just the like the actual name of the microchip, and then you go on that that website and fill it out.
1: Yeah. So when your when your pet is actually microchipped at the vet uh, clinic, you're gonna get a little card usually that has the information on how to register the microchip, um, and it will come with a little sticker of the number that goes with that particular chip.
0: What if you? What um, if that is not your scenario though? You didn't yeah, put so the chip if, in.
1: Yeah, if you did not put the chip in, then uh, it kind of depends on the situation, but um, if the chip is registered, then the person that that chip is registered with will have to release uh, their ownership rights with the company and then you can register it in your name or okay. do like a transfer.
0: So probably the easiest thing would, the next time you're at your vet, inquire about it. Can they read it right there and then tell yeah. you what company it is and such? Yes. Okay. Because I, I, I'm I just going through that. So it's it's high on my mind right now.
1: So Yeah. So it'll be dependent on who registered originally the, the chip mm-hmm. um, as to how the company handles if you can transfer it or if you have to. Uh, get permission from the previous owner or something like that. um, There'll there'll probably be a little bit of paperwork involved.
0: Okay. But at the end of the day, it's a great identifier for Mm -hmm. emergency preparedness. And again, whatever County you live in or state first, you could go right on those and we're going to post the ready.gov and the FEMA federal emergency management agency. They also have animal, um, evacuation and crisis information mm-hmm. and they even have a certification which is interesting to be a person who helps with animal evacuations which i oh, interesting. might might look into a bit more i have some friends on the zoo side who started um, a, an official program they've always helped each other but rescuing the exotics because talk about a big deal That's a process. That's, I mean, moving elephants or rhinos or, you know, cats, whatever it is, it's a huge process yeah. and mm-hmm. sanctuaries need to be very mindful of this. Cause now we're moving multiple animals, right? Yes. And uh, sometimes they are not in a position to be able to move them. So, you know, they have and to have just they do the best. Just they can. like,
1: just like what we're saying for the pets, have they practiced the behaviors that go into Yeah the process
0: you haven't you loaded know. a horse regularly the chance that they're going to load when you're nervous and there's something going on is slim yeah. to none and i say
1: that so often with my horse clients is uh yeah, when was the last time you loaded yep let's do it do I it the trailer today and at
0: least weekly i mean yeah. it sounds silly but park your trailer somewhere and Clinton Anderson, who's actually uh, going to be my next Animal Tales podcast. I just wrapped up an interview with him, very lively and fantastic. But at his place, he bought, and this is doable for some people. He bought a little two horse trailer and set it on the obstacle course. Took the wheels yeah. off, and so that the horses would be loading regularly. Sure. Anything like that, I can't recommend it enough. You know, to make sure. Because, again, Tommy and my wheelhouse are horses and dogs. So just, again, practice, 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 like everything in life. This isn't just going to organically happen for you when you need it most and you're in your biggest crisis. And it will benefit you when you're traveling and you need your neighbors to watch your animals or if you have your own minor emergency and you can't be home that night and they have to take your animals or whatever that is. So lots of... Lots of good information to start thinking about ahead of time, for sure. Anything you want to add on this point before we move on, Tommy?
1: I think that about wraps it up. Um, just be sure to, um, if you do have pets, look up these websites and kind of go through and, and make your personal plan for this. Um, and, and keep in mind that you're planning for the worst. Right. Um, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. But if you have a plan in place and you're prepared, you're going to be a lot more peace of mind and a lot easier to deal with all of these things.
0: Absolutely. And your pet's going to benefit because you're putting in place some good training procedures that you have to stay up to date on and uh, that's going to benefit you. And we'll put all these links in show notes as well. Yeah. All right, Tommy. So we're up to one of our favorite segments (laughs) and you get to take that this week. It's pet peeves. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath to see what you come up with.
1: <laughs> uh, so I, I chose a little more of a general generalized uh, topic today for my pet peeve, but my pet peeve is assuming.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: so we, we know the adage that to assume is to make an ass out of you and me. Um, and I see it happening so, so often. Um, with, with animals, with people, with just across the board, people assume that you think the same way, that you have the same values, that you have the same protocols, that you uh, are allowed to do whatever you want. Uh, we sort of assume that we have all of these freedoms and liberties and choices and things, and, and you don't always. Uh, so one of the big ones that came up is I have a client that's uh, going to have her family over for Easter this coming weekend. And she has a, a whole gaggle of grandchildren and she wants them to be able to come and ride she has a, an older horse that's perfect for for pony rides um but that's not what she does every day so the horse isn't used to it and the the people are not used to it they're not horse people her grandkids um, so i gave her some some you know protocols some ideas on how to do it safely because the kids come up and they assume that they can just run up to the horse and pet them, and we do it with dogs. You know, I walk my dog oh. out in the park, and people assume they could come up either with their own dog and let them get nose to nose, or they want to come up and pet the dog and uh, and don't assume that you can just come up and pet any dog or pet any horse. Or and I, I think it's a uh, the, the disnification of, uh, of the animals. You know, we assume that everything is sunshine and lollipops and uh, that we have the Cinderella song playing in the background and all of the animals just show up and it's just wonderful. Yeah. And in reality, on their best day, they're dangerous, you know, so don't assume that you can just show up and pet anything and don't be offended when you're told that you can't.
0: Right, we got to get I'm those got to get those yellow ribbons out <laughs> from, yes, from exactly. our last. If you don't know what that is, listen to the last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, great, I, I couldn't agree more. It's a it's a pet peeve of mine when people come up and just assume. It happened to me in the park yesterday. I was walking because it's hot here now. It's already warm, Florida. So we went to the park where it's shadier because I worry about the pads of their feet on the hot asphalt or sidewalks. Yeah. So I went with my girlfriend to the park, took a nice long walk and two different people were let their dogs out on the long leash to visit and just made the assumption. And I was like, my, no, nope, my dog's in training No, nope. And both were cute little dogs, but people do that with dogs that aren't cute and little. Not that any dog won't bite, but the impact of the bigger dog is so. Well, stop assuming.
1: It, yeah. Or assume that they're dangerous. Yeah. Assume the animal is dangerous. (laughs)
0: Make that assumption.
1: Assume the animal is not vaccinated. I come to it from that. Yeah. Yeah. Assume the animal has uh, a parasite infestation. Yeah. You know, assume the opposite end. Don't just assume everything is sunshine and lollipops.
0: Right. Cue the unicorns and rainbows. There you go. All right. Excellent. My training tip this week is I'm just kind of refreshing myself about our past training tips and I guess I'm going back to the basics, which is you cannot skip the foundation. You cannot. And you should be starting this from the time, honestly, the time the puppies are born in my book, but a lot of us don't get a puppy till they're eight weeks old, but it could start right there um, with a little bit of a leash and collar and keeping them close by. But Foundation training is just, it should be a requirement because it's the one thing we can do to ensure the well-being of that animal for their life. And Mm -hmm. Clinton and I were just talking about horses and he said his foals at eight weeks old are already halter broke and they do the opposite. Instead of leading the mama and having the baby run around and you and I both know by eight weeks they're kicking and farting and bucking and being little stinkers, they get right up to you and then you can't grab them. He leads the fall and the mama follows, which is really interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, but with puppies um, start right away, make it, make it just part of their world. They don't yeah. know anything different other than learning manners and behavior. And um, AKC canine good citizen, which I've preached is a great foundation training program, but not everybody can train their own dog. So if you can't, it's the best investment you'll ever make to have somebody help you with your foundation training or train and board your dog, which I do, mm-hmm. and then give them back to you trained. You still have to keep up with it. You still have to make sure, instill all those values, but at least the, the the basics are done for you. So don't don't skip over that. And if you're calling me to say you have a problem with your dog walking on a leash or your dog jumping or surf, counter surfing, I... I know for sure it's it's just a hole in your foundation training so it's yeah. just a symptom of a bigger problem
1: so we don't have that skip that all the time with with any species yeah um, i have a client now that uh, the the horse was having a problem with the farrier picking the feet up and i said the, the problem is not the feet
0: not the feet it's and the behavior
1: Out the horse was you know not well handled and yeah. did not have good ground manners and that's what we started with yeah and Within just a few sessions, you could pick the feet up. No problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah we don't see skip it. The foundation. Don't skip the foundation. It's, it's critical. And again, I, I, if I haven't said it, I can't say it enough. The best and most loving thing you can do with all the emotions surrounding our animals and all of that, you truly want to be emotional and do something right by your animals trained them. Well, those are not mm. the animals that come into harm's way. Typically, And that is the one thing you can do to ensure their well-being, no matter where, who they live with, what their life brings to them. So I I can't impart that enough. And uh, I want to say again, put a cue on the poo. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to put that in show notes, what we mean exactly by that. But it's part of your emergency preparedness. By the way, some of the upcoming topics, Tommy and I have been batting around, we're going to talk about planning for vacations with your animals. It's coming up over the summer, the do's and don'ts of particularly dogs, taking your dogs with you and um, the vet going to the vet. We're talking about having a vet on to help us discuss all the things you need to know about before you go to the vet and when you're at the vet. So I'm excited about that because that's something I hear a lot about how fearful it is and, Again, if you're saying that, I can tell you, your dog is going to mm-hmm. be fearful because you're, yeah. it's a narrative in your head. So I hope we this... are the things
1: we don't understand. So maybe if we talk about it, you'll, you'll be understanding of it and not be so fearful.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm really excited about that. So I hope this is a good resource for you. Please share it, subscribe, rate and review it. It's a podcast as well as on our YouTube channel and Facebook. And uh, we... As always, appreciate your joining us for some doggone good information. Thank you, Tommy.
1: Thanks, Heidi.